You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hey, this is Lenny Goldberg, and thank you for joining me. Ah, the holiday of Hanukkah. Isn't it the best? Everybody should love Hanukkah. And not because it falls during Christmas time, but because, you know, it's the only holiday that took place in the land of Israel. Think about that. What other holiday commemorates an event that happened in the land of Israel? Only Hanukkah. But most of all, we love Hanukkah for what it commemorates. The victory of the Maccabees over those Syrian Greeks. Now, most people would say that the holiday of Hanukkah is all about that vial of oil that was found in the temple and it miraculously lasted for eight days. That's where we learned in Hebrew school. That's where we learned in the Gan. But, you know, if you read the prayers that we add during the holiday of Hanukkah, during the grace for bread, during our regular davening three times a day, what do we add during these eight days of Hanukkah every time we pray? Alanisim. And if you look at that prayer, you know, it doesn't even mention the miracle of the oil, but only the miracle of the war victory. Let's take a look at the prayer book for a minute. I got my sitter open over here. What does it say? In the days of Metityahu, son of Yochanan, the high priest, the Chashmoneim and his sons, when the evil kingdom of Greece stood against your people Israel in order to make them forget your Torah and violate your laws, you, in your enormous mercy, stood up for them in their time of great need. Dante et dinam, you judge their case, the kamtet nikmatam, you avenge their oppressors, masata harabim biyadam vizedim biyad sadikim. You deliver the mighty into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few, the impure into the hands of the pure, and you brought us a great salvation. And afterwards, your children came to the Holy of Holies in your temple. They cleansed your palace, they purified your temple, and they kindled lights in the courtyard of your sanctuary. And they established these eight days of Hanukkah to give thanks and praise to your great name. Nothing about the fact that they found a vial of oil that lasted for eight days. Nothing about it. It's not mentioned here at all. And so we see from the Nusach of this prayer that we say every single day during Hanukkah, three times a day and after we eat bread, we're celebrating the miracle of the war, the few over the many. And again, the miracle of the oil, it's not even mentioned. And what makes it so sad is that so few people know the story of Hanukkah really. Or if they know some of it, their knowledge is very superficial. Let's say you compare it to other Jewish holidays. We have a much better understanding of what those holidays are about because on Passover, you read the Haggadah. You know the story of the Exodus. On Purim, you read the Megillah. And that relates to us, the story of that holiday. But in Hanukkah, there's no mitzvah to read Sefer Maccabim, the book of the Maccabees. And the book of the Maccabees tells the story of the few against the many of the Hashmonaim wars against the Greeks. And you know, it'd be a good idea that just like you're supposed to read the Megillah and Purim and the Haggadah and Pesach, we should all read the Sefer Maccabim on Hanukkah so we'd be less ignorant. Because what's happened over the centuries because of the prolonged exile, anything that's national in its nature, like fighting wars over your land, defeating the enemy in battle, all that stuff is foreign to the exile. It's irrelevant. So what do we concentrate on? We concentrate on the little Pach Shemen, 
the flask of oil, and all those nice little songs that go along with it. And so, Chana becomes less and less about the war, and more and more about the miracle of the oil. And so this awesome holiday becomes so superficial. And by the way, the miracle of the oil that lasted for eight days, it's not even mentioned in the book of the Maccabees. What's mentioned in the book of the Maccabees is that after the Hashemonaim win a couple of wars and the Greeks now are going to leave them alone for a while, they go to their temple that's been trashed and they purify it. That's what it says in Al-Anisim, that they, cle- that they came from the war and they cleansed the palace and purified the temple. Nothing about finding a flask of oil that lasted for eight days. So you know what? I'm going to come up with a new conspiracy theory because people love those. How about this one? There never was a miracle of the Pacha Shemin. It's a conspiracy. It's to make us forget about the wars. It's a conspiracy to force us to eat greasy food and latkes and jelly donuts to get heartburn from. No, of course I'm kidding. But certainly it's clear that the miracle of the oil was not the focus. That's not the focus of the holiday. What is it then? What does the miracle of the oil mean? It's a symbol of the few who overcame the many. That that small flask of oil miraculously lasted a long time, just like the few defeated the many. Some say that the miracle of the oil was Hashem delivering us a message that we don't think that it's kochi ve'otzem yadi, so the chashmonaim don't start to think that it's their power and their might who did all this, who brought this great victory. It's to make us remember that Hashem, He's the one who delivers the victory. And we're His shlichim. Because when you read the wars of the Maccabees, it was very derech teva. You're not seeing miracles all over the place. God isn't making the sun stand still. The sea isn't opening up for anybody. It was a very natural kind of war. That's why it took two decades to finish it. There were no open miracles. The fact is, all the brothers died violent deaths. And therefore, you can forget that this is all from Hashem. But we still say when we add the Hanukkah addition to our prayers, what do we say? In Alanisim prayer, we say, you fought the war, you took vengeance, but who, Tachlis, did the vengeance? It was the Chashmoneim. But Hashem gave us the Siyata Deshmaya. So we say, yeah, we're the ones doing it, but Hashem is giving us Siyata Deshmaya. Just like when we eat bread, we say the bracha, Bruchat Hashem, blessed are you, O God, Hamotzi Lechem Menaharetz, who brought this bread from the earth. Now, did you ever see God bring out bread from the earth? No, man does it, but he thanks Hashem for giving us the siyata deshmaya, the heavenly help, to make it all happen. Now, if the Pach Sheben miracle wasn't the focus, but it's just a symbol, why do we celebrate for eight days? It says in the book of Maccabees as well that we have an eight-day holiday for this. So that's a good question, and there's a couple of reasons given. One answer given is that the eight days of Hanukkah correspond to the eight days of the dedication of the tabernacle in the desert. The Mishkan, when it was dedicated, just like the temple was in the days of the Maccabees, there was a Chanukat Hamitash. You had a Chanukat Mishkan in the desert for eight days. And after those eight days, the Shechina, the divine presence, descended upon the Mishkan, signifying God's approval and acceptance of the Jewish people's efforts to create a sacred space for worship. And so that's one of the reasons given why Hanukkah is eight days. So I'm not here to deny the miracle of the Pach Shemin, God forbid. I'm here to tell you that that's not the focus. The focus is the story 
of how a Jewish family from the city of Modin defeated the greatest empire that was ever in existence up to that point. A family did it. But unfortunately, we've reduced Hanukkah to a trite story of a flask of oil. And that's because we've turned Judaism into a religion, right? When you're just a religion, then it concentrates on the personal mitzvahs instead of the national sphere. When Judaism isn't looked at as a religio nation, a religious nation, not just a religion, but we're also a nation with a land with national aspirations. If we don't see Judaism that way, we're going to distort everything. And if we're going to talk about distortions, I'm going to drop another truth bomb. It's always said that the Jewish people rose up because of the threat to their religion. That is, the Jews didn't go to war against the Greeks because the Greeks had conquered the land of Israel. They didn't go to war over that. But once they started to decree religious edicts against the religion, that's when the Jews rose up. And that's true. But that doesn't mean that Hanukkah wasn't also a war for national sovereignty as well. Because well after the religious edicts were canceled, and they were canceled after the first three years of the struggle, after Antiochus died, there were no more decrees, but the Jews continued fighting anyway, even though the decrees against the religion were annulled. The Jews continued the fight against the Greeks for one reason. They wanted sovereignty over the land of Israel. They were aspiring to national independence, something they had never had since the very beginning of the Second Temple period. They were either under Persian subjugation or Greek subjugation. So it wasn't just a religious war. It was a national war. And that's what the Rambam says in the very first halacha of Hanukkah. He mentions that the Jews rose up because of the harsh decrees against Judaism. And then the Rambam adds, and they restored Jewish sovereignty another 200 years in the land of Israel. So it's both. We want religious freedom and we want national sovereignty as well. It goes hand in hand. And it's only the exile that made some kind of separation between these two concepts. And so by not learning about the holiday of Hanukkah properly, we miss out on real Jewish heroism. And so I want to read a passage from the book of the Maccabees, how this whole rebellion started. But just to give some background to the passage that I want to read, Antiochus, with the aid of the Jewish Hellenists, were defiling the temple, defiling Judaism, forcing the Jews not to perform the mitzvot. And it was easy for them to enforce their laws in Jerusalem, but in the outer towns, outside of Jerusalem a little bit, they wanted to enforce their edicts there as well. And they'd go from town to town and they would perform a ceremony where they would slaughter a pig and basically force the people eventually to adopt Hellenism and drop Judaism. Well, one day they came to Modi'in and that's where the family of Metetiyahu lived. And I'll read a little bit from, say, from Maccabeem. It says like this. That morning, near the square, there was a pagan altar to the Greek god Zeus. It had been erected that morning. To the left of it, soon to be sacrificed, was a pig. On the other side of the altar was the officer Apelles, who was the representative of the imperial Seleucid court. Also in the middle of the square was a small detachment of Seleucid troops, his armed escort. The ceremony was about to begin. Apelles surveyed the crowd, and he saw Metetiahu, the Jewish priest and head of the leading family in the village. The officer rose. The villagers stopped shuffling. All eyes turned to the royal emissary as he began to speak. He told them that he was there to carry out the command of his imperial majesty and initiate the villagers into the noble worship of the god Zeus. This would be marked by the public sacrifice of the animal 
And they, the populace, would mark their acceptance of the new faith by tasting of the flesh of the offering. Thus had the king ordered, Apelles said. And before I go on, just to add a couple of comments, Apelles, he knew that the Jews were not always willing to cooperate. And if they proved troublesome, he knew what to do. But what he did was he always tried first diplomacy. And if all went well, then great. If the village was compliant, then there doesn't have to be violence. And, and then he'll go on to another village. And the palace was already briefed by Greek intelligence of that village that Matityahu was the guy to go to. Because if you get him to comply, then the entire village would follow his example. Anyway, at this point, Apelles sees that everybody is kind of looking down to the ground, but Matityahu and his sons are looking straight at Apelles. And this is what it says in the book of the Maccabees. You are a leader here, a man of mark and influence in this village, and you are firmly supported by your sons and your brothers. Be the first to come forward and carry out the order of the king. All the other people have done so, as have the leading men in Judea and the people left in Jerusalem. Do this and you and your sons will be counted among the friends of the king. You will all receive high honors, rich rewards of silver and gold, and many further benefits. Okay, so Apelles has just called on Matetiao to be the first to come forward and carry out the order of the king to take part in the sacrifice of the pig to the god Zeus and to taste of the sacrificial flesh. And he awaits the answer of the old man Matetiao and not only is Apelles waiting for the answer, but the villagers are also waiting and they're pretty tense. But Metityahu, he's come. And what he's going to say now is going to change the course of history. And this is what he says. Though all the nations within the king's dominions obey him and they forsake their ancestral worship, though they have chosen to submit to his demands, yet I and my sons and my brothers will follow the covenant of our fathers. God forbid we should ever abandon the law and its statutes. We will not obey the command of the king, nor will we deviate one step from our forms of worship. Okay, so at this point, you can just cut the tension with a knife. Everybody's waiting to see what's going to happen. And what happened then? There was movement. One of the Jews there, he stepped up to the altar and he announced to the surprise of the fellow villagers that he's willing to make the sacrifice. You know, you always have some leftist, Hellenist type who likes to you know, kiss up to the authorities. Anyway, Apelles was happy about that. And he'll deal with Metetiao later. Okay, so now all eyes are riveted on this Jew who's willing to comply. And he was handed a knife and he approached the pig. And then the records tell us what happened next. The sight stirred Metetiao to indignation. He shook with passion and in a fury of righteous anger, rushed forward and slaughtered the traitor on the very altar. He then took that same knife of the compliant Jew and he turned it upon the astonished Apelles and killed him too. Before the troops could take in what was happening and pull themselves together, the sons of Medityahu and their friends spontaneously, aided by the rest of the villagers, rushed upon them and slew them. Okay, so that's how the rebellion got underway. Now, after you do something like that, you can't go back home. Right after that, they went into the underground, they hid in caves and they organized a guerrilla army. But the point is this, up to that point, there were Jewish martyrs everywhere. There was Hannah and her seven sons. There were lots of stories of Jewish heroism who were willing to die and not to transgress the mitzvot, who fulfilled the commandment, they were willing to die and not trespass and not bow down to Avodah Zarah. 
Worshipping Zeus, Jewish mothers continued giving circumcisions to their babies despite the edicts and were killed for it. There was tremendous Jewish martyrdom. But nobody at that point thought of killing Greeks. I mean, that's going on offense, right? Metitiyahu, he changed the narrative. Up to then it was, Yareg velo yavor, were willing to be killed and not to transgress. He changed the narrative from that to, Yaharog velo yavor, we're going to kill you and not transgress the mitzvot. And that was the mapach. that was the big change that happened in, in Modi'in that day. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about the history of Hanukkah, about the wars of Yehuda Maccabee, you can tune into my uh, Bible classes or I have a new website called LennyGoldberg.com, LennyGoldberg.com. And there you'll see a whole bunch of Shiorim classes on the history of the Maccabean Revolt. I have three different Shiorim posted on the subject of the Maccabean Wars. So you can hear that and really get a deeper understanding of what Hanukkah was all about. I wanted to mention something we read this past Shabbat, Parshat Vayeshev. It opens up Vayeshev Yaakov. And Yaakov, he sat or he dwelt, he settled. Vayeshev Yaakov, that's the first two words of the Parsha. And from this single word, the sages extract really profound guidance and how a person is supposed to live his life. What does it mean, Vayeshev Yaakov? That Yaakov, he wished to live at ease. He wanted to sit easy now, to sit in tranquility. After all, he went through enough service in his life. He had the Esau issues. He had to deal with Lavan, with the rape of Dina. He had a tough life. So Vayeshev Yaakov, he wants to sit down. He wants to sit down. It's not, it's not that he wants to sit down and eat, you know, sunflower seeds or play Sheshbesh and backgammon and checkers. No, he wants to just learn Torah, maybe go to Dafyomi. He deserves it, doesn't he? Ah, listen to what the sages say. Hashem is going to punish him for wanting to sit at ease because he wanted to now just sit down and relax a little bit and just kind of enjoy life and learn some Torah because he wished now to sit in tranquility. Hashem brought upon him the troubles of Joseph, which were worse than all the other troubles put together. Why? Why was Jacob punished so severely? For just wanting to sit. For just wanting to sit down and enjoy a little tranquility in his life. And the reason is this. When the righteous, when the tzaddikim, they want a life of ease, of tranquility, the Holy One, blessed be he, says to them, are the righteous not content enough with what awaits them in the world to come? That they should seek tranquility and ease in this world too? That is, the next world, Olamaba, that's the place for tranquility, the world of eternity. This world isn't the place to kick back. And so Rashi brings the words of our sages on the very first two words of the Pasha, the Yeshev Yaakov. And it's really a game changer when you think about it. Like most of us are looking for tranquility, shalva. But we see here that this world that we live in, that's not the goal. The shalva, that's in the next world. This world is for struggling and making a difference and facing challenges. And Rabbi Merkahana, when he was officiating at a wedding, he would bring this down. He would wish the newlywed couple a life of Torah and to establish a home in Israel, etc. But he would say, but not shalva, but not tranquility. I don't wish you shalva. And the guests were kind of stunned by that. But he brought down this Rashi on Vyeshev Yaakov because this world is not a world for shalva. That's not supposed to be your goal to stay in your comfort zone and just live a life of ease. And this relates to 
But Titiyahu, the father of the Maccabees, he was an old man at that point. He had went through a lot. He could have stayed in his comfort zone, in Modi'in. And instead, what happens? He begins the most improbable rebellion in history. He didn't go with the flow. And Yehuda Maccabee would give a pep talk to his soldiers before going out to war. And he would say stuff like that, knowing that he was badly outnumbered. He wanted his men to have morale. And he would say, it's better to die for our people, for our land and our Torah, than to have to passively sit by and watch the slow destruction of our land and our Torah and our people. So let's go out and fight. We got nothing to lose. You know, there's a very precious Jew, a national treasure. His name is Ezra Yechin. He was a member of the Lehi. He's over 90 years old. And after October 7th, he went to Gaza to give those soldiers a pep talk. He was in his uniform. Some people don't slow down. They never cash their chips in. You can say Jonathan Pollard is the same way, right? There's no Vayeshev Yaakov for them. Ari Fould, may God avenge his death, would say, if your life is easy, then you're not living it right. Anyway, that's it for me. We still have a couple of days of Hanukkah left. Don't forget to check out my new website, LennyGoldberg.com, and you'll get all my shiurim on Hanukkah and my Bible classes, not only to understand the essence of the holiday, but for inspiration. What's more inspiring than learning about Judah Maccabee? What can give more Jewish pride and direction than learning about King David and his wars? And we learn all about King David, unfiltered, in my Bible classes, Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes. And the fact is, it's not really unfiltered, and it's not even a truth bomb. We're just reading the verses. We don't get into the Kabbalah and the mystical stuff. It's right there in front of you. And I'll be back next week, God willing, for more.